Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Burgers, Beers and Books. I'm Western Australian crime writer Alex Duke. And the reason you're hearing my voice is because today your regular host, Ben Hobson, has handed over the podcast microphone to talk about his favourite book, The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. By astonishing coincidence, Ben Hobson has a new book coming out, which is called The Death of John Lacey, and I believe that's coming out on the 31st of January, I believe. This podcast should go up on the 1st, so it'll be right around the same time this podcast goes up. Awesome. Cool. Mm. So that's that's good. Um, So just to to cover off before we start talking about the book, um, uh, about an hour ago... um, I messaged Ben and I was like, should I, do I need to have a burger? And he was like, nah, don't worry about it. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, all right. Um, I mean, you know, it's high quality audio listening to people chew food. So maybe. Yeah, there was there was <laughs> a bit of that. There was certainly a bit of that. It was whenever we had a burger, it was all like, oh, I won't do the noises now, but. Yeah. It was hey, wild. everyone, come listen to your favorite authors make disgusting noises. You know what? You know, if that's what my pitch is, why my podcast is unique, let's go. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, but do you do you have a beer? Are you are you enjoying a beer at the moment? No, I, I ran out of beers. So what I've brought today, I did bring some alcohol. It was a little bit of a difficult stretch though. So I found in the back of my cupboard this old um, whiskey flask, uh, okay. which I wanted to put this in the podcast. I don't know whether you can hear it. The noise of the it's just something so satisfying with it so there's some very bad whiskey in this which i feel i feel is very hemingway-esque i thought it was on brand because of the whole you know it gets the job done it's simple it's fine you know like just use yeah. what you have sort of thing it's I felt like on brand a little bit so that's yeah. all I- well i'm also i'm also very on brand because i have a, a non-alcoholic beer nice so that's right up ernest hemingway's <clears throat> yeah, it sounds exactly like him. Yeah, not a yeah alcoholic at all. Yeah, yeah, clean living, healthy mindset. The, he that guy is the epitome of what we should all aspire to be like morally. No, that could <laughs> not go down that path. Can I just say yeah. I feel very strange about being? I don't know. It feels being on the on the other side of the interview desk on my own podcast. I feel very hyper aware of self-promotion and I feel very awkward. Can I say, I don't like doing that. I, I always try to, you know, encourage other authors and platform other people. And now that I'm sort of under the spotlight, I feel very strange, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's all right. We can, we can refuse to talk about any of the work you've ever done. Um, if right. Feel- That's perfect. So, Thank you. Um, all right, so tell me, yeah, man, tell me about your history with uh, The Old Man of the Sea. When did you first read it? Um, I was, it's actually a strange story. I was in, I was working at Blockbuster. Do you remember Blockbusters? I was a video, we were a video easy family, but yep, sure. Mm. Oh, sorry, Trader, yeah. We were always at war with one another. It was like Anchorman where we would all ride in on horses and, throw down the blockbuster. I've actually stuff. never seen Anchorman. Um, oh, okay. I think oh. I'm the one remaining man in his 30s who hasn't seen Anchorman. Yeah, fair. Well, my reference just then was extremely good. Um, but, yeah, I was at Blockbuster and I was on the 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night area where the traffic really slowed down. You maybe get one or two customers. And I dusted all the shelves. I've done all my jobs. And 
I was in the stage where I was just hyper addicted to reading as many different things as I could possibly read. And I was especially going through the classics, you know, trying to be or educate myself in what, you know, real literature was to use inverted commas. And while I was at uh, Blockbuster, I don't know whether I should spill all this. I downloaded the, the book illegally, probably on a Blockbuster computer. They're, they're, I'm probably the reason they're no longer in business. Let's be real. Um, and I read <laughs> I read the book on the computer screen. And that was the first time I read The Old Man in the Sea. It was at Blockbuster standing behind a, a cash register, which is really were, strange. Were you, were you like prompted to do that? Because wasn't it like a, quite a classic film of it? Like with oh, from, Gregory or something? It, there is. I've never seen the film. I've never watched the film. I just, I felt when I read the book, I wouldn't want to. I just felt mm. it felt unfilmable to me because it's so simple and it's 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 one man on a boat on for the most of the novel like i don't know how you film that and make it interesting um or novella i guess i should really say shouldn't i yeah yeah hey i've actually let's talk a little bit more about that in a second but Mm. before we i mean the old man in the sea is probably one of the most famous books ever written but um do you want to give people just a little um little rundown on sort of what, what it's all about yeah sure i mean you know having not practiced this to me this is the book is all about men's i don't want to say it's not about men versus nature although it is a little bit of that but it's about it's about the difference to me between living a life of honor and living a life with dignity and then always trying to live with pride and the difference between pride and dignity and the difference between pride and honor and that's what the book really unpacked for me. And it's about this old man who is, uh, he, he's, what is the, it's one of the first phrases in the book, right? He's 83 days without taking a fish or something like that. It's the very yeah, first 84. sentence, 84, 84 days now without taking a fish. So he's a very old man and all the other fishermen make fun of him. He's very poor. He's lonely. The boy who was fishing with him is um, the boy's parents don't want um, their son to fish with this old kind of loser. And he goes out onto the ocean in just another day to try to fish. And he hooks the most monstrous marlin in, in history, the biggest fish he's ever seen. And yeah, it's about him fighting the elements, fighting and physically enduring such torment to, to hold on to this idea of his pride. And then I don't know how much you want to get into it, but then on the way back, sailing back, because up to then I was absolutely riveted in the book, but the thing that really moved me with this book and the thing I think it does extremely well is on the way back, the fish is lashed to the side of the boat. It's too big. You can't get in any small boat. And the sharks come up and slowly over the course of days and he fights and he fights and he fights, but eventually the sharks do devour the entirety of the marlin. So when he gets back, he doesn't have any money and it's like, it's not worth his pride. He's got no extra pride. Like no one sees any more esteem in him, but it's like he's lived this dignified life and it's all that Hemingway stuff about a good death and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It just... That's yeah, that that actually um, the the part about the sharks, like, so I, I read this um, probably I don't know in my early twenties. I'm guessing, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it would have been in my early twenties, which is, I think is um, a good time in one's life to read Hemingway. Yeah, I sure. think when you're sort of looking for, I think, I think, I think it's a good time to read him when you're looking for a bit of romanticism about like the world. Yes. Um, um, and then I think maybe perhaps when you're a bit when you're a bit older, then it's a little easier to be a bit um, cynical about the kind of grandness of it. Yes. Um, but when I remember when I read it first time in my early twenties, and when I read it last week, um, in preparation for this, that was like when the sharks come. That is like like it's it's a really really excellent novella and I think the sharks probably come in the last 15% or so of the novella that's really when it punches up into being like um you know 
as something really, really special. It's about something different. Uh, you think you sort of think it's about this one thing. And Hemingway, as you say, in all his romanticism, yeah, maybe when he was a younger man, the guy would have gotten back to shore with the Marlin and esteemed and being heroic. Hemingway did that a little bit though too. It was all it, it just feels so authentic that that would be what would happen. The sharks would get the scent of blood and that would be the thing that happened, but it changes the meaning. And when he gets back, you feel differently about the whole enterprise. Was it worthwhile? Was it, you know, he killed this giant, beautiful fish who he, you know, in the book, it says he loves the fish, mm. killed this fish. And was it worth what? Yeah. What, what did he do with it? What was the thing that he did? Was it worthwhile? Has his life been worthwhile? I just, yeah, that's it, that I agree with you. It's exactly that point that turns the book into something more meaningful than just Hollywood, uh, you know, perfect ending. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, although I I believe um like he because the he can't sell the the fish obviously because it's been eaten by the sharks, but he does. But the other fishermen do see the skeleton, yes. of the fish or what remains, and um something that I think is you know like it kind of gets to this whole the reason for it like why he did it is when the old man whose whose name is um Santiago when Santiago gets in he. He he basically just like I mean he's been at sea for like days and he's absolutely exhausted and he's an old bloke anyway but he um becomes he he just sleeps and he dreams right mm-hmm. and there's a real like he does I my inter my interpretation of the ending was it was this um uh the, he had a real contentness at least contentness is maybe not the word perhaps more of a a satisfaction in um exactly yeah. He, and so my my kind of takeaway of the book is it's um it's almost like he was like fighting for his place in his own world I suppose mm. and fighting you know there I guess there's a I mean you used the word dignity earlier and I think that's that's probably the I feel like that is the the word but it's maybe not the word in a way because I don't think it would have been undignified for him to 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 kind of go in or something but it's almost like he just he felt it was so important to like stand up and yeah kind of be counted i suppose do you know what yeah. i mean that's the, that's the thing i think though too is it's like it's a quiet type of dignity that doesn't need to shout it doesn't need to sort of prove itself to other people he doesn't mm. he doesn't stick around to talk about like look at the size of this skeleton look at the size of this fish i brought in to him the thing that was worth more was that he did it and it doesn't need to shout to other people about it. And that's, I think, really important to the book. I, I just, yeah, I find, I find there's a, there's a quite kind of humility to that where you can just be satisfied in yourself. And it's kind of con- like, I think you use the word content, like you just contented that I, my life has had meaning and I don't need other people around me to say, yes, you've done a good job. Yes, your life has had meaning because of this, this, and this. Yes, I see something in you. You see something in yourself. And, the, and Santiago did that, I feel. Yeah, although I agree. Although, like, you know, it's interesting because I think, I don't think the book actually gets it, says this at all. But um, I remember, and again, like the first time I read it and now again now, well, last week, um, I think he stru- he's, he sticks with it because of the boy mm. and the boy you know as you said um the boy's parents don't want him fishing with santiago because he hasn't caught a fish in a couple months um and he's a bit of a loser and it's almost like he's he don't he doesn't really address address this in and of itself but um i feel like he does want to you know make the boy proud yeah that's really interesting you know that's interesting too that you say that because I hadn't thought of it that way, but at the start of the book, that whole, you know, running sort of thematic throughout the book about him always referring to the great DiMaggio and baseball, he establishes that at the start as being fundamental to his relationship with the young boy who fishes with him. So yeah, maybe him keep on harking on that is sort of subtly bringing us back to thinking about the boy while he's out on the boat. Hemingway was really good at that. He was really good at stripping away all instances of telling the reader 
what's going on. He was really, really good at embedding these kind of thematics and character links. And just, I think he's really brilliant at trusting that the reader will understand, which is something I aspire to as well. Like I really want to strip away all the fluff and stuff like that. And I find on first drafts, I can be, I can tell too much, but embedding these thematics and emotional beats in a story underneath the action, I just, I really admire it, you know? Yeah. And I think um, that, you know, he, the, that, you know, pulling that off, uh, Actually, let me let me let me wind back because there's something yeah. something a lot of people kind of talk about with this book is they people because it's such a simple sort of story really, mm-hmm. um, and so it's often kind of described as an allegory mm. or like heavy symbolism, um, but then like as I'm sure you know um, Hemingway disputed this. I've got a quote in front of me. So Hemingway said. There isn't any symbolism. The sea is the sea. The old man is the old man. The boy is a boy and the fish is a fish. The sharks are sharks. No better, no worse. I love All the that. symbolism that people say is shit. What goes beyond is what you see beyond, then you know. I love that. Um, I just, yeah. That's my and I, I, think, I think the thing that is, you know, to relate that to what you were just kind of getting at, where it's like stripping away all the fluff. It's not like telling anything anyone needs to know, um, but it's also not this sort of, um, you know, hokey symbolism. Mm, no. What the what it what it's sort of the reason I think it's you know such such a success is it it's quite hard to put words to how it makes you feel. Yeah. Do I you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's almost like tapping into something. So, um, you know, like fundamental, I suppose. Yeah, I always think um, of the word primal, like it just feels, because it is, yeah. as you say, so stripped back. It just, it, fundamental is a great word. It feels just, yeah, without anything else, it just it cuts straight to the core of it. You know, I reckon he could have written a book that's four times this length and invested all the characters and gone and all the backstory and stuff like that, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He just lets this book be itself. And I just... Yeah, I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah, it's um, oh, I had a really clever way I was going to put that, but um, oh, I sorry, can't... I interrupted you. That's my bad. No, no, no. It's just, it's just um, yeah. It's almost like there's nothing to get. You're just experiencing yeah. it. I yeah, suppose. that's what a book. Yeah, there's, there's no meaning to discern. Like, I mean, obviously you can discern a meaning, but um, I think with a lot of Actually, I'll, t- I'll tell, you, tell you a sort of a story sure. like, that's quite related that um, I, I found like quite a moment of clarity when dealing with um, any work of art. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, me and my wife went on a holiday with my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And uh, my sister-in-law is an artist. Um, and we went to Japan and we went to an island, which the name escapes me, but the island's sort of known for having all these, like, quite um, interesting art installations, mm-hmm. sort of reasonably um, abstract sort of stuff. And uh, and like, I, you know, like, I don't have a, I mean, I've been to art galleries, but I don't really make a habit of it. I guess I, when I see something that looks nice, I'm like, oh, that's cool, but, like, I don't really ever intellectualise anything. But anyway, so we found myself on this. Um, we'll just pause. So yeah, Amanda's just coming into um, do some lighting, but she's just going to go into laundry. Um, anyway, so hi Amanda. Hi. <laughs> um. All right. So for editing, I'm just about. It. All right. So we've we're on this island, this art island, and um, seeing all these quite abstract sort of installations and um, something that I kind of took away from that and really like prompted by my sister-in-law was this idea that like if something's like abstract or like even simple, like there's not necessarily like there's nothing necessarily to decode. Yeah. You know, know, it's not a puzzle to be solved. You don't necessarily have to like take something away and be like, oh, this means that and therefore A equals B. Yeah. 
you it is just a um an experience you're experiencing and the feelings that you're getting if it's if it makes you feel weird or happy or whatever like that is the point yeah for and, sure and um i feel like that is particularly uh an uh, what my takeaway was from this book is that there's sort of not a hell of a lot to decode or take away it's just but your own feelings i suppose i yeah i agree i really agree with that it is i think that is a habit that we have with stories and it's almost like it's like a defense mechanism but we i, I tend to at least intellectualize things and mm. i'll analyze and think about how this links up with this and you're right it's it's when a, a novel or a story can sort of break through that part of you that's sort of putting everything at an arm's distance and saying you know i'll think about this over here and what does that mean for this and you know but if you can if a novel can cut through that and just get straight to your emotional relationship with the characters because it is primal and simple and there isn't a lot to over intellectualize like all the stuff we were talking or i was talking about about dignity and honor and all those things those are things i've thought about afterward mm. but when i'm reading the book i'm in the book and i'm experiencing the book there is almost nothing but experience it's the old man on the sea fighting this fish and it's just what he's doing and it is so it feels it feels pure i guess to use mm. a word it feels pure to me just purely emotional um yeah, yeah which is so hard. It's so hard to do that with your own work, I find. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, like, Hemingway is known generally as quite a good writer. So, <laughs> One of the yeah. masters. Yeah. Um, something else I, I want to get your your thoughts on. Um, something I, I really liked about the book um, is it's actually very low stakes, really. Um, and I, like if another author had written this, certainly if I had, then I think there would be like a scene where there's like a hurricane or like a shark (laughs) or something. And he's like, he has to survive. He's in danger. Yeah. He wants to catch the fish, but he's like, his life is on the line or something. Um, but, um, the you know that there isn't actually any of that at all no. um like in, in in fact like he kind of makes a point of santiago makes a point of like talking about how like he's quite certain there is not going to be any cyclones or hurricanes mm-hmm. he's so familiar with the weather and um like he's able to catch fish and eat you know so to keep up his strength so he's not at risk of starvation yeah, and he sort of gets um, taken care of too. Like there's other people who sort of, you know, invest charity upon him. Um, at the start, he gets fed by the local um, pub owner, I think. He gets rice and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he's that, never fear that he's going, he's in danger. Like he just let the fish go and go back. Yeah, he, he could indeed. And I think the thing that makes it so, um, you know, that that's so kind of like amazing about it is um you're never worried that Santiago's gonna gonna die, but um you're it's still very gripping and you really want him to succeed. Yeah, because and... you, you fall in love with him from the start. You just love yeah. him. He's so kind to that boy and he's so humble and he's not he's not I don't think he's self-pitying either. You know, he's he's in this awful position, but he never looks down on himself. He's like, no, I'll just go out and fish and do my thing and Yeah. Such a yeah, you know, like you say, like really at any point, like you could, like, like let, let me put it this way: like if you read like a news article, right, mm. and you did, and it was just the facts, and you're like, this old man was out at sea for like four days trying to catch a fish, you wouldn't you be like, why doesn't he just let the fish go? Like, who cares? Right? Yeah. But yeah. when, but the writing is done in such a way that that feels like that would feel like the most heartbreaking outcome. It would. Well, because Santiago, he invests meaning into catching this fish and we feel it, but it's, we're saying all this, but it's never, it's never said, Mm. which is remarkable. It's never said, it's just felt like we know that he, he needs to catch this fish for himself 
but we it's never man i'm just jealous i wish i could do it (laughs) so good like i don't know how i just i don't know how he did it i look at it and i puzzle over it and i just i don't know i don't know it's like a miracle i don't know how he did it yeah well i mean you can you can definitely imagine like a sort of first draft version where he has a you know, a moment where he says to himself, I must catch the fish, otherwise I will feel bad about myself. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> just really, because he has internal thoughts. He does think to himself, but it's never about really his situation beyond I need to keep my strength up. I need to get like actionable sort of thoughts. It's never what will happen to me. Is this the meaning of my life that's slipping out of my grasp? It's never all that. It's it's always action and it's embedded mm. underneath it, which I love. Hey, can I, can I show you a couple of things that I have, which are sort of related to Hemingway, Hemingway S. Well, I recently got this tattoo. I want to show you, but I didn't actually mean it to be as old man in the sea ish, but as I'm thinking about it, it it is exactly that. Like, I don't know whether you can see it. Can you see that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's legitimately an old man in a boat fighting a giant fish. Yeah. Cool. The, The tentacle goes down. Yeah, so uh listener, that is uh Ben's got a massive um sleeve tattoo. Yeah. Which is it's a like surly man with a harpoon. In an old fisherman's costume, which is a bit um Yeah, yeah. On I didn't realise how <laughs> how much I love this book, but clearly I do. Because it's all about like like me sort of, you know, protecting my family. That's how I feel what this represents. But Oh wow, yeah, cool. Um but for sure, and I wanted to show you a couple of things I- as well. When I first started um, writing, Mm. you know, I'd written three books and no one had liked any of my books and rejection after rejection. Are you talking about the books you published? (laughs) I'm kidding. Oh, that's, yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for that vote of confidence, man. I feel real good. No, the books, (laughs) for those books that, um, and all the short stories, like I just was not gaining any traction. I just felt, you know, useless, but... I made like a really hopeful sort of author brand account and, you know, did my author platform stuff. And one of my friends from Melbourne, uh, Nathan Dodd saw me and out of the blue, he sent me a package and it had a moleskin notebook and a beautiful pen. And it had this, this book. And he just, he wrote a little note that just said, you know, keep going. Like mm-hmm. you've got something. And which was, it just, I'm here today because of that. But look, this is the book he sent. Oh, cool. The Hemingway cookbook. <laughs> so it's got all these recipes that Hemingway would eat. And I, I can I can I say I've read this cover to cover. I've never made any of them. Like here, look, this is burgundy snails. There's apparently something. <laughs> There's lots of beans, lots of trout, you know, from his flight. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was, um, that meant a lot to me when I was not oh, feeling right. confident. Yeah, it really helped boost me up. Um, this is my copy of The Old Man and Sea. I did end up buying it, but you can see it's complete. Like I've just read it that many times. I really need to get an yeah, updated yeah. version. It's just, and I also in this, I don't know whether you've read this. This is. Greenway's Boat. No, I have not read that. This is kind of the, from what I've read, is sort of the pinnacle in um, writing on Hemingway as a human being. Because mm-hmm. he's a very, very complicated he can be very awful. He can be very dignified. He was, he was a very interesting character. And this is really, really thoroughly dissecting him. Um, you can see it's just, yeah, that's it's, a absolute, it's huge, but it's really readable. So yeah, I've read, I think I've read every Hemingway book and mm-hmm. I think I like For Whom the Bell Tolls as my second favorite, but I think, mm-hmm. The first one I read was The Old Man in the Sea, and I think it was the one that stuck the most. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's cool. I'd, I'll have to check out Hemingway's boat. It's very um, just to segue into our own Hemingway mm-hmm. things. Um, as as well as uh, uh, before the podcast, when I um, asked Ben about whether I should have a burger, I sent him a, a screenshot of a photo that I took. Um, of a Hemingway statue, um, which is in a bar in Havana in Cuba where Hemingway would uh, Mm. drink um, daiquiris. That was his drink, the daiquiri. Um, 
and I was fortunate enough to to go to Cuba um like not quite 10 years ago but eight eight on seven or eight years ago or something um and it's uh it, it's it's cool because you can like go to the bars you drank at in Havana but as well there is also the Hemingway Museum mm. just out of Havana which is a sort of like um I wouldn't well kind of a small estate I suppose where he lived and um you kind of it's these really nice kind of like very tropical obviously like these big lawns and this sort of like open house it would have been very breezy and like I mean Ben you would have freaking loved it because you like stuff like it's like it's typewriters there like you you can't go inside the house you walk around the outside i would be screaming in in with typewriter and his like Ah! spectacles and that like arranged so it's all arranged as though he's just walked out that's amazing but even more relevant is you can also go see his boat the pilar hemingway's boat that's what this is boat. Oh, my gosh. Old, and it's a, and I kind of always took, I think the boat, Santiago's boat in The Old Man in the Sea isn't quite as big no. as Hemingway's. But um, given that it was Ernest Hemingway's boat in Havana in Cuba, I always took it to that boat to basically be the boat from mm. The Old Man in the Sea. So um, I just wanted to share that with you because that's I knew awesome. I know that you'd be extremely jealous and um, resent towards me. That's so cool. Oh yeah. yeah, that's a dream trip of mine. I would love to go and yeah, that would that's amazing. I'm yeah, very jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's a you know, uh, a reasonably tricky country to get around Cuba because um, they don't they like the internet. Well, certainly eight years ago, internet access was very spotty. Mm. Um, and not a lot of people speak English, but um, can be obviously very, very rewarding, especially to see the the Hemingway Museum. Would certainly recommend. Um, so, uh, so Ben, you you said you've you've you show you showed me your your well worn copy of the Old Man of the Sea. You've read it yeah. a load of times. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if it's you think that you've taken a different meaning from it over over the years mm. from when I first read it mm. uh, that's a good question I don't I don't know I don't I don't know I think as I grow a bit older I get to understand it a bit more I think that hopefully as I've matured I've become less dependent on other people um telling me that I'm all right. So I used to be, when I grew up, I was very invested in everyone else's opinion of me, you know, so much so that I wouldn't trust my own judgment. I would look at how, you know, the bullies at school would tease me and things like that. And I would take how they spoke about me over the way I spoke about myself. And as I've grown up, I hope, you know, I'm turning 39 this year, I hope that I've matured enough to where I can sort of listen to the people who are important to me, but also, you know, I get to say, I get to live my life the way I want to live it. And I get to be the type of person that I want to be. And I think that that's what this book sort of told me, you know, those 15 years ago that I would have read it for the first time. That's what it told me back then, but I don't think I understood it. I don't think I understood Mm -hmm. I didn't get that from it when I first read it. I just felt that it was weighty and I felt, well, there's something here, you know, there's this weightiness, there's this idea of a life well-lived. And um, as I've grown older, I've sort of come alongside, I think, to that old theme of living a life of quiet dignity, living a life of, you know, you get to sort of decide the person who you want to be, I guess, and how you see the world and how you invest the world with meaning. And I don't know. I mean, the the reason it's so well-worn is I read it. I I wouldn't say every year, but I read it pretty frequently. Like I always go back to it. It's sort of a, it's sort of a bit of a how to write kind of tome for me. And maybe nowadays I kind of think about it in a craft sense a little bit more, but I don't know. I still always get caught up in it when I'm reading it too. So 
Yeah, maybe I've matured up to where the book is. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. So. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I know what you mean. It's um, I think I probably yeah. I, I imagine I had the same thing. You 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 read it and you get, you know, like kind of as we were talking about earlier, you get some sort of like feeling from it, but it's hard to um, it's hard to put words to it. Um, perhaps until you you know, you kind of, I guess, have, I mean, you know, have uh, not the experience of like, you know, uh, fishing for marlin for days at a time or whatever, but, um, you know, equivalent experiences in some way or another where you can sort of, you know, almost bolt your own own sort of meaning onto it, I suppose, Mm -hmm. in the place of life. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is a, I think it is like it's it's from the position of Santiago, who's an old man sort of looking back on his life and his, you know, his wife has passed away and, you know, what does he have left? And I don't know, it's from this position of kind of reflection that kind of lends itself to being a bit older, I think. And as mm-hmm. you think about it, I think young men can read it and young women can read it, everyone can read it. But I feel just from my position of being a young man versus now where I'm a, a little bit older, um, it feels different and I'm sure I'll think differently about it too. When I revisit it, when I'm 60 years old as well, you know, and it just, mm-hmm. I mean, how often do you spend thinking about, you know, do you count your days? Like I, sometimes this is what this book does to me is like, you know, what is your life? What is this thing that you're creating? Cause at the end of it, you know, every single day we spend, every minute we spend is one less minute we have here. Right. So what are you actually I am doing? Definitely more. I think I yeah I'm more not in a not in a morbid way, or not in not in like a way that is debilitating, mm. but um I think especially because my like I don't know you know how old your parents are but my parents are more well, my father's in his early seventies and I'm sort of I feel much more aware mm. of the concept of not being around forever so I wouldn't say I count my days but I think I have been much more uh cognizant of wanting to at least use your days well yeah for sure they can slip you i guess they can slip you by and and, you know even not just because of you know my parents but actually to, to be perfectly honest like also because of um like i don't have kids but i've got like what four nieces and nephews now Mm. and um the eldest is seven and I feel like she was born like yesterday. Yeah, man, that's and very real. Like, oh, like seven years goes past quick. Like you got it. You better, um, you know, use your time. Uh, you know, like I mean, we can't just do what we want to do all the time. But you, it's sort of important to at least attempt to enjoy yourself or attempt to do something that you think is important. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. That something important, something meaningful. You know, I, you know, when I, when I was a younger person, I sort of, I felt immortal, you know, I felt like I was going to live forever. Like time wasn't a kind of, I wasn't aware of it. And when you're immortal, like time becomes meaningless and you spend your time doing whatever the heck you feel like all the time. And, um, I think that's important too. Like it's important to have that season and to be properly invested in it. But man, like I just, I very much, I'm very hyper, like just before you know, we had a little break in this podcast. I went out there and my youngest boy, Henry, he's eight. He was like, dad, you know what we're doing later? I said, what? He's like, we're going to wrestle. He loves every night I have to wrestle, even though it always ends with someone crying and someone upset. Sometimes it's me. So we always get a bit too rough, but I think I could very easily always be looking at being busy but man, isn't it nice? Like he's eight. He's not going to be this age again. He's not going to always want to wrestle with me. I sort of am very hyper aware of that. I'm not sure it's this book that does that to me, but I think this book is of that kind of thing. It's of that sort of thematic. He sort of looks back on his life. He's thinking about the lions in Africa. He's thinking about the boy. He's thinking about his time as a fisherman, how his relationship with the sea, you know, it's very thoughtful book, but it's, He's also not saying any of this, which I just, I can't, I don't know how he did it. I just, it's, it's remarkable to me. 
one other sort of element of this that I kind of because after I after I reread the book last week, I just did a bit of reading about Hemingway because I'd sort of forgotten a lot about him, and I was reminded that he he um I mean you know more about him than I do, but um quite unlike Santiago, he was not really uh particularly I don't like he did a lot. He certainly seemed to do a lot of adventuring and all that sort of stuff, but I don't. From what I know, I don't know if he even necessarily became that much of an old man. Really. No, no, he, um, was. he was Nor did he feel a sense of contentment. And look, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've I've not read much about him, but um, no, I but just, it seemed like his it, life was always going from one thing to another. Like he was always searching for something. Like he would always. Yeah. I mean, he had four wives. He has a bit of wish fulfillment about it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's him sort of saying this is the sort of life I wanted I wanted to have. I wish I could have this kind of quiet dignity and just feel content. Yeah, but I don't know whether he did. Mm-hmm. He also had, I think I did a bit of research on him because he did pass away. Um, he did take his own life. I think he was either 62 or it was in 1962. I forget the one. But he was in his 60s, I think. Um but they did some research to have a look. I think they said that he he had a um, a thing with his brain, like the way his the brain fired. He had some sort of iron thing going on, which kind of lent itself to heavy bouts of um, depression. I think, um, which his father suffered from as well. But I, I don't know. I can't can't say that's for certain. I haven't done. I did read the book on him, but that was not mentioned in the book about his passing. You know. Yeah, obviously difficult to, you know, next to useless to speculate on, on yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I just wonder because, um, uh, yeah. Look, I, but in a moment I want to talk about uh, your your new your new book. But um, just before we do, I'm just like, a question just occurred to me. Like, hmm. you know, um, I, guess, I guess like we've sort of known each other for a little while, like, hmm. um, you know, talking over email and over over Skype or, or Zoom and that sort of thing. And um, while I didn't know that Old Man of the Sea was your favourite book until until this, I was not remotely surprised. Um, <laughs> and I've I've read your I've read all your published work um, and really enjoyed it. And it's in this vein of I think there's and the, part, partly the reason I wasn't surprised is because I think like it's easy to see in you this sort of. Um, uh like i think i think you've got a kind of like romanticism about you i suppose really um, like with the old man and particularly with the old man in the sea are you like a guy who like loves going out and like fishing and like boating and like do you dream about going to like you know on safari in africa and all this <laughs> sort of thing that- yeah i do i mean I do to a point. I'm also a nerd, so I also like to stay indoors and be comfortable on a couch with air conditioning. I'm going to be real, but yeah, some of my best memories are some of the like the highlight reel of my life. There would be a lot of those sorts of adventures, like climbing a mountain with my mates and breaking my ankle up the top and having to get airlifted off, or jumping into the ocean, or being on tour with the band, or um, going to this kick where she did that she yeah. went we had talked about it on this podcast yeah right right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we talked about it but yeah i got and you know i went to nepal went to mount everest and one of my highlights with my dad was we went on this fishing trip where we went fishing for barramundi up in the northern territory um which was like a week-long thing it was so hot and there were crocodiles and it was awesome yeah i, I don't know there is very there is something hugely romantic to me about people enduring <laughs> physical trial to do something great i guess you know if you talk about climbing to mount everest base camp i mean man it was it was physical it was physically you know lack of oxygen and the steps and one of the guys i was hiking with he got ended up having a a type of lung infection he had to get airlifted off in a helicopter The the sherpa put him on his back and like trucked him down to this helicopter and and then there were two of us left. Like it was, it was full on. But yeah, yeah. Tell you what, and when you do something like that, when you go on those physical kind of adventures, you do. I mean, I literally wear this on my sleeve. But you do kind of. It does make you feel tough, 
And then when other challenges present themselves in your life, you kind of in the back of your mind, you have these things you've done. You know, I went on that fishing trip. I, I survived that. I did that. And it's sort of this ammunition to not be swayed from things, you know, not be swayed so easily. Perseverance, I guess. Um, mm. It's an interesting question, man. I, I, yeah. But I do like mm. Nintendo too. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure like Hemingway also enjoyed like, I don't know, doing a Sudoku or something. <laughs> Probably. You know, he's like, should I go out and shoot an elephant today or should I maybe, I don't know, just, <laughs> you know, fix my socks or something. Yeah, crossword puzzle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the death of John Lacey. Mm. So, um, so listeners, I was uh, fortunate to read uh, a copy of um, this wonderful new novel uh, a couple of years ago um, before mm. it was uh, well done, when Ben was still working on it. And um, very early read of it. You know, we we um, we actually did a a manuscript swap of a novel, and Ben read a novel that I that I wrote that. Um, that didn't make it over the line anywhere, but uh, and I read very good novel read this one. And well, thanks. Um, but of course, um, Ben had a lot of, um, as I recall, some very valuable feedback, which really helped. Um, Thank you. You all. I, that's the same, same with you, man. Like I just. Well, well, actually, the the, the reason I bring it up was because I tried to have feedback, but it was sort of like really, really good, and I was like. I definitely dad. <laughs> like <laughs> I want to feel like intelligent. I want to make an intelligent contribution, but like it's already really good. So thank you, man. Uh, that was, yeah, that's that was. I had with this book. I had a lot of early readers in regards to you know the history of it, and you know the First Nations people who appear in the book. You know, I had a lot of people read the book um, in sort of consultation, but um, I only had two people read it on a craft level, and you were one of them. Um, it's just oh, I trust cool. I tr- trust your judgment, yeah. Um, but I just with you, I, I I always pick people differently for different projects. But with you, I picked you because I knew you you because you know I've read some of from some of your stuff. I know you like to you're very good at figuring out where how a story is pulling people through, and I certainly in my early books, you know, in an early draft of To Become a Whale, it was very much. It, it got bogged down a lot and I didn't understand this idea of actually, you know, you need to entertain a little bit or at least have some reason to turn those pages. And I thought, I always thought you're very good at that. So when you said it was going well, I thought very good sign that there's something in it, you know, mm-hmm. so it was very valuable. Well, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased it was um, pleased it was useful. And just um, I'll, I'll give a brief little, um, so I'm, I've, I'm holding an advanced, uh, like a promotional copy of of the book. Um, I be, I'd started re reading it because um, I read it years ago and I didn't really remember too much of it. Um, <laughs> to the old man in the sea. Yeah. I've not yet. I'm. I think I'm about a hundred pages from the end. Um, so I, I've got to admit, I I can't quite recall if there are any major changes from the version I read. Um, that's it would be interesting to know, man, because I've forgotten which version you read, so it would be very interesting to hear. But what you say about the, the something that I I think I, I very much admire about your work and um, this book in particular is you're able to, this, this kind of ties into what you were just kind of getting at, um, you're able to use a a uh, a style a, a prose style mm-hmm. that is um very very sort of like artful and um i guess it's quite like a kind of muscular kind of right i feel like that's a bit of a cliche i feel like i read that maybe on one of the pull quotes in your book <laughs> yeah there it is yeah Bob's <laughs> and spare muscular writing is captivating but that you know it that is what it is um, you've got that, then there's so there's like this really artful element to it. However, that is also paired with this um uh like it it moves along, right? Like in so glad. a way where so it's the, it's a sort of like really nicely paced 
uh, artfully written novel that I'm trying to I'm trying to find the words to do it, but it's I'm feeling really uh, good by the we, way. You're we, like can edit, we can edit well, let's edit this bit because I'm trying to find the words to You're say. You're right. Um I'll just say, well, it's it's a really artfully written, really well paced novel that like that moves moves very well. And you I I suppose at no like you you mentioned about an early draft of the of your other novel, um with that and that uh, the, to become a whale that's what it's called yeah yeah, yeah. I, I actually haven't read that one um but um there is no point in this where it feels like it's getting bogged down at all however it is also always feeling like it's exploring something quite rich and chunky oh good and so being able to being able to do that without it become without going down like a rabbit hole of you know the diversion or anything like that i think it's very very impressive Thank you. Um, that means it means, uh, it means like I'm at the point now yeah. where it's people are reading it and it's it's really nerve wracking. Like it's 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 such a vulnerable thing to have a book come out. Um, so it means it mean I can't even begin to describe how much someone liking it meant, um, yeah. especially someone like you, man. But um, it yeah, it is. That's the main thing that I did with this book. Um, I actually wrote, so I wrote To Become a Whale. I wrote five books before that, but I wrote To Become a Whale, which was published. And then I wrote Snake Island, which was immediately picked up. And I thought, oh, I've got this, you know, I'm good now at writing clearly. And uh, <laughs> when I got back from Nepal was when COVID was really, you know, bringing the country down. And um I wrote a whole other book and it was this, I think you even read that other book. Did you read that one? I might've sent it to you. I sent it to a bunch of people, but I wrote this whole other book, which was like a, 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 it was like a thriller. It was like an action thriller. And it was not in my, I just, I, you know, I love action films. I love thrillers. And um, I wrote this whole other book. And then when I got to the finish line and I got it submitted to my publisher, just did not like it, did not think it was very good. And, passed it around to other people at Alan and Unwin whose judgment I trust and no one liked it. And yeah, interesting. And I thought I've, my taste is broken and I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And I had two books and so now I should retire and just fade off into the sunset a little bit. But then I remembered that I'd started work on this book and I had about 20,000 words on it and I'd always loved it. And I always thought it was my best work, but it also felt it didn't feel like people were going to like it. And it was always me doing every single thing in this book that I actually wanted to do. Like it was getting rid of the talking marks, which is just a style I really adore because it's, it feels really, it makes it feel like it's ancient. It makes it feel like the story is ancient to me, but I just, I love that style. And it was really stripped back and I was just not putting any, you know, it wasn't fancy. It was just really down, like, I just gutted everything out of it and just made it as simple as I could make it. And so after that rejection, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to have one more go at it. I'm going to write the book that I've always wanted to write. Like I'm going to write something that I'm really, truly proud of, which I am of Snake Island and to become a whale. But, you know, this book especially makes me, it's the best thing I've done. And is the thing I labored over the longest. And it is just was an exercise in, in, in cutting as much out of it as I possibly could um, to get to the, to the thing that's the Hemingway, hopefully, you know, this is my aim is that Hemingway gets to getting rid of the, you know, the intellectual barrier and just getting to an experience and just simplifying the story to its barest essentials. And that's what I aimed at. Yeah. 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 And I think um, the, uh, it, it it pairs it sort of pairs well with um you know the old man in the sea because of all that stuff we've been talking about about the um like it, it's it, i think it's kind of probably quite difficult to read your new book and not have a kind of like emotional reaction to it because it's quite confronting mm. um you know in a really good way and um i think you're 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 definitely tapping into that same um sort of uh sort of uh style that we'd be getting at although i wouldn't necessarily say it's quite so 
you know much about living with uh, you know like <laughs> there's not a kindly old man <laughs> no it's a bit yeah well when you said like when you said before that your writing's quite i think you said romantic and i was like what <laughs> i've never heard that said about me like you know from everywhere i read it's just like dark and confronting and i don't i mean i do love those sorts of stories those are my favorite sorts so it was just probably why i write them but I certainly don't feel dark and confronting. I guess I just do that through my books, I guess. I don't know. I suppose, like, perhaps romantic is a, you know, and I, and I obviously don't mean that in terms of, like, the romance genre, obviously. No. Um, but, like, in a sense, maybe, like, maybe a slightly better word for it is, like, it feels, certainly this novel, like, it does feel quite epic. Wow, really? Because, well, I mean, just, okay, so to give the, the listeners a little more sort of info, so basically... Um, to, to, I, I think to, to really quickly sort of sum it up, um, it's, a, you know, it's called The Death of John Lacey. It's about a bloke called John Lacey who becomes a very, um, wealthy individual in, um, Gold Rush era Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to, to become that, he, he does some pretty, pretty nasty things. Yeah, he and does. And all about, his, I, it, it's all about his, um, you know, lust for power and what that eventually, eventually costs him. Um, there's, you know, a couple interconnecting um, storylines with other other characters who play into it. Um, it's also set over, you know, I guess multiple decades, I suppose. Yes, yeah, so I think there's like um, two and a half decades in there. Yeah. So um, there is this um, kind of quite grand epic feeling to it, um, where it's not it's not just about like a guy finding gold it's about um man's lust for power and corruption mm. um well you know after. you know what's interesting yeah. though man is that the first thing that i that i wrote was the john lacy section in um the section where he comes to power and he commits awful things and it was my original intention with it was it was just going to be that mm. so it was going to it was going to be shorter than the old man in the sea i think it was like 25000 words that section but that was all it was going to be. But as as I got to the end of it, it just felt too, it's too, it's so harsh. Like that is such a harsh character. And I was interested in exploring what he, what it would be like when he would actually be in a seat of power, when he's in, you know, he sort of forms his township around himself. And then to have some characters interact with him meaningfully. So it's sort of the whole, the whole story sort of came out from that one section, but it was originally just going to be that, which it would be an interesting exercise to just read that section and to see if it would hold up on its own weight, you know? How, how did you um, go about, because, you know, as well as being all this other sort of descriptors for how we're talking about it, like, it's really like, you know, in a sense, like I wouldn't describe it as a fir- as the first thing as a historical novel, but it is certainly set in a historical period. Yeah. Um, it's set in, a, in an Australia that doesn't, exist anymore really i wouldn't say to a point um, to a point sure i mean obviously there are elements that carry through mm. um but in the in the sense of like prospectors going out and searching for gold in that kind of way for sure. um like how did you how did you go about like research um mm. there, there's you know there's this this you know there's the actual finding the gold there's you know and if one thing i liked it felt very authentic um, the details felt authentic. I don't know anything about Gold Rush era, like, <laughs> but um, you know, it certainly felt authentic. Um, to say, and then there's all the you know the social dynamics between the you know the white people and the First Nations people and the men and the women and the the sort of more educated class or the sort of the the, the upper class, the yeah, yeah. class, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. The, and the punters. Um, how did you go about sort of getting a handle on that stuff? Yeah, it was just a lot of reading, um, a lot of listening to. Um, I had, um, you know, I had a, a, a Wadarung person um, who I, I contacted, the Wadarung people, and um, like their 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 art sort of center down in down in um, Victoria, and. Uh, I had a, a Wadarung artist named Marlene read it. And so she sort of read it from that perspective. Um, I also read just a ton of books. Um, the Forgotten Rebels of Eureka was really, really 
important, um, which is a Claire Wright book, which was an amazing look at the women and the sort of the forgotten peoples of the Eureka stockade, not just focusing on the men, which was hugely important. Um, and there was this awesome book I got. It was called, I actually forgot the name of the author. There's this book called Gold, Gold, Gold. And it was literally just a dictionary of, of words that were to do with um, mining. And it was taken from old journals of prospectors. <laughs> so there's a lot from that that I embedded into, especially the section where he is mining for gold. There was a lot of that. But I actually never got to go because of COVID. I had a whole travel grant lined up to go and have a look. Right. But then, yeah, and then um, COVID, I, I didn't have the grant but I'd applied and I'd put it in. It was a Nilma Sydney travel grant, I think. But I'd applied and I'd done a, like a really thorough job. So I, was, I thought, you know, I might have a shot at getting the grant, but then COVID happened and then eventually the borders opened up a little bit, but then I made another trip planned and then I got COVID and it's just, it, the, the first time I got to go and actually swish a pan around was a month ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'd always dreamed of going down and actually having a real hands-on experience. Um, but no, I had to sort of write from afar and use my imagination a fair bit. Um, but I did have Marlene as well. Marlene was awesome. But since um, since um, the book has, you know, gone out to early readers, um, one of the guys from Sovereign Hill, you know, the, um, the sort of the entertainment sort of historic. Tourist mine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he read it and really responded to it. So I'm actually going to be doing an event there, which is really cool. But if he liked it, in theory, I've done all right, I think. Yeah, cool. Well, that sort of, you know, like parlays nicely into the, um, you know, speaking about the the event you're doing. So do you, you've got, um, I think you mentioned recently that you've got, you're going to be going up and down the, mm -hmm. the east coast of Australia on various... Various little events. Yeah, yeah, I'm going. I'm traveling in again. You know, doing the adventure thing. I'm in my car with my swag in the back, and I'm camping out. And I'm going down to a few places in um, the Richmond Tweed area, up in sort of northern New South Wales. Um, and then I'm going down to Canberra, and then I'm going to um, Yarram, where I grew up, and then over to Ballarat, and then driving back up through Dubbo. Um, and then I've got a bunch of things up here as well. Uh, yeah, but I'm really keen on meeting people. And yeah, I'm I, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous for the book to come out, Alex. Let me tell you. I um, Yeah. You know, you know what I think? I think it's one of those books um, that uh, this... This this is almost sounds like a backhanded compliment. I do, in, I don't think it's like I think it's I don't think it's a book that like every single person who reads it is gonna is gonna like it because it's quite confronting. I think a lot yeah. of people will like it, but I think it's gonna be a book that it would be pretty impossible to not have like quite an opinion on. Um, yeah, which I, is, I, I think like I think it'll be want. divisive. You know, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, and that's the same with a lot of the stuff I've done. People just either really love it or really don't. Yeah. like it at all so i think um i can definitely see this uh finding finding an audience um yeah it's it's a it's a it's a nice piece of work you've done very well thank you mate that means a you lot should you should be proud <laughs> um all right folks um listeners thanks everyone for tuning in to to hear our chat about the old man in the sea and ben's uh uh novel which should be out now when the podcast mm. is the death of john lacy uh go buy it um just do it like it's, good stuff. <laughs> like, it's really good thank just you man. you know i know like uh people are gonna be like oh cost of living inflation it's like you can just like eat a little less don't skip lunch buy the book just do it. Don't. uh i feel awkward but i really <laughs> um i i've uh, been uh alex duke well i still am i'm um, but I've been your special host just for the for this episode. So next time, uh, Ben will be back with the reins. So mm. thanks for everybody. Thanks for lending me the podcast, uh, Mike. Ben, my pleasure. And, um, yeah, thanks for thanks for asking me to talk about the old man in the sea. Thank you, man. It was great. I really enjoyed myself.